0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writer's Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers sitting around drinking and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's hosts are Chaz Brinchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 83, Points of View, a discussion. All right, I really wanted to bring this up, and again, starting it because it's all about me. I was in... A beautiful, beautiful Japanese garden with a beautiful lake in the middle, and it had it had bridges, and it had rocks, and it had little statues, and it had about a gazillion cats wandering around, because I think cats are the spirit of a place, and protect us all against Onis, but a story occurred to me, and I am tragically stuck, unable to figure out point of view, because... I would immediately thought, well, maybe I should take an exercise and do this. So what with one thing and another, you have a small child throwing rocks angrily into a lake. This upsets the spirits and the tranquility of the lake. But the kid is upset and muttering and unhappy because he has an older brother who's been bullying him quite severely and even bruised him and hurt him. And the parents keep ignoring the situation. The spirit acts. We'll just say the older boy through circumstances one way or the other comes to a major injury never enters the garden again. The younger boy is, again, never as angry and never is disturbing the spirits again. However, it is forbidden, of course, to meddle directly and hurt human beings, because once you start, I mean, who wouldn't want to keep going with that? So point of view, I could tell the story from the boy's point of view. I could tell this, you know, as absent trees, a whisper, hint spirits. I could do this as the trial from when the head spirits who rules over this place says, What have you guys been up to? I could do it from this point of the lake, which has been the most disturbed, which riled the other spirits up to act as one. So many different points of view, and I'm paralyzed trying to figure out which one is the best. What are your thoughts? How do you decide these things?
1: My vote in that specific instance, I would go for um, a point of view separated from the action. Um, Like the spirit of the bridge who had absolutely nothing to do with anything and just watched. So you get an impartial eye mm. on, on the whole traumatic thing.
0: But now, first person it. or third person?
1: Ah, um, third. If you, I mean, if, you, if you're telling a story that involves multiple points of view, even if you're not going to flip from point of view to point of view, um, third is better because, hang on, I'm working this out on my fingers, um, because if, if, it's first po- if it's first person, then the most you can do is speculate, about how other people are feeling, what they're thinking, yada, yada. Um, if you're in third person, you can be more direct about it, and that would help
2: if you have, again, if you have a lot of points of view to get across. Okay, I, I hate to, to be the clueless one here, but looking at my fingers, yes. can we have a quick definition of first, second, third, so that I make sure I'm 100% right? Sure,
1: I strolled down the road Is first you strolled down the road. A second, he or she strolled down the road. Is that? Um, it really is that simple. Yep. And then, of course, you get complicated.
0: <laughs> he he
1: will have strolled down the road. <laughs> yes, he would have strolled, strolled down the road had he not been interrupted by. Yes.
2: So the third person is more omniscient. I, you. Yes. Um, I
1: mean, there is there is a point of view that people these days call omniscient third, where the narrator knows everything that is going on in everybody's heads. It's never a good idea to flip from head to head um, because that's just disorienting and induces vertigo in the reader.
0: I'm with you. I had a manuscript that was pressed into my hands here. What do you think? And I pressed on through the second chapter because I loved the person who did it. And then I just had to go back and say, no, um, I have never run across to anybody that can do three paragraphs in one point of view and then three paragraphs in another, and then two, and then six and switch. I've never had it work properly at anything. And therefore I don't, you're not the first to succeed. Let me tell you that's a glass mountain that no horses made it up. And you're still the copper rider.
2: Mm. Okay. So
0: so that's point of view. Um, There's, You know, time, whether it's past tense, present tenses, that's tense. But point of view is how you tell the story. We talked a little bit about this in another episode when we were discussing telling the story from the sidekick. And in particular, I think it was Alma was talking about how she had a sidekick character, which oh was the perfect person to tell the story because he was an accompaniment to one of them.
1: Right. Um, And the other take on that, of course, is that the sidekick has a whole individual story of their own going on in tandem with the known plot, um, but entirely separate from it. Um Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead is the classic example. Well.
0: That's where I go every time. Yeah. yeah. The play within a play within the play. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's I, and it, it makes me wonder now that I've I have a couple novels that I've written, you know, not quite sourced yet, but is the third one do I keep it from her point of view or is it time to say she might, if I want to kill her off or not want to kill her, I don't know. Is it worthwhile to tell the, n- the next part of the story from the point of view of one of the other characters in the first one? And it, and it really gives me an interesting perspective because, for one, instead of being an insufferable know-it-all, I can now be the another person who's aware of the uns- It's sort of like the Dr. Watson to the Sherlock point yes. of view.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I have,
1: I have an unwritten third novel. Um, from the tags on to the end of it should have been a trilogy, it was supposed to be a trilogy. And and the first two are first person narrated by one character, and the other was going to be from a completely different point of view. Is this um, Desdemona and Pandemonium? That reason, um, to give a separate
0: perspective on that main character but i never got to write it yet i don't know when you think about it there's there's an argument that this was somewhat done from the luke point of view like the first star wars movie was pretty much all about luke yeah. and then the second star wars movie was a little bit more and han and the third one was definitely more layen han and then and then he he moves from being the center character in the fir- in you know yeah. episode 4 to a very distant character, you know the sage on the mountain, as it were,
1: yes, well, the thing about episode four is it's a building to a man, um which is one of my favorite words um, <laughs> it's, it's about an apprentice's journey to towards mastery, and once you 've done that in one movie, the other two movies can't be about that anymore, um so you have to move on and 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 yeah examine other characters and. Well, yeah. and, and find a place for your apprentice approaching mastery in a wider story, because yeah, that it's a ve- that's a narrow story about one character becoming um, what he was destined to be. It's I mean, okay, it's a, it's a space opera. It's it's glo- It's it's pan global. It's pan galactic. But nevertheless, it's narrow.
0: Is and- it a way to also? I mean, one of the strengths of the multi character pieces, like consider the strength of original Star Trek and many of these others is Battlestar Galactica. We had many in the sweeping vision. You had many characters and some episodes were all about Starbuck and some episodes were all about Apollo and some were all about Boomer. And I like that because you have a full fledge of characters. It's almost like a the way TV can take you through, you know, scrubs. Each one of them has episodes that are more focused on different pieces of it. And it makes them all very alive for me, which is something that I really like about it. And it avoids the savior of all unkillable character. And I don't just mean unkillable character, but I've, I've read a lot of stories where the main character never fails. I mean, uh, I use like Simon R. Green's Nightside series. Yes. I mean, I love them. Please don't understand. I love the first four very much. But after a while, it was like... Yep, yep, another apocalypse, another this, another that. I, I almost don't need to read more of them because I've already read it.
1: Yeah. Um, um on the other hand, in some contexts, the unkillable character is actually important. It's important that they don't be killed. Um Modesty Blaze. Okay. You, yeah. You can't you can't end a modesty blaze with her dying. You just can't. Um and of course, when he was tired of writing her. Peter O'Donnell did exactly
2: that in a short story. Sorry, that's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> As but, modesty, Blaze fans are aware of it. It's not like there's a lot of them coming out right now.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, he, he died a short while ago. It's very sad. Yeah, you, know, you can, I mean, when I reread the canon, I read everything, including the short stories, except that last story, because it's wrong. <laughs> um, that is that is not, that's not how this trope works,
2: so it doesn't work there's a slight difference between the unkillable character and the unfailable character for instance Hmm. um modesty blaze suffers setbacks and then overcomes them she's a comedic hero in that her character leads her to success classic comedic not haha funny although she did have quite a wit and quite a pair of uh sidekicks Uh, but compared to some other heroes who just can't fail you lose a lot of dramatic tension focusing on those, those godlike beings. So yep. Modesty Blaze spends all of her time fighting against criminal powers and dehumanizing powers and usually rescuing macho men mm-hmm. who often die or helping avenge them. It's a wonderful flip on the noir trope, which I think was one reason it was so successful. Anyway. It,
0: it, uh, it is, and I love noir, but... I, I look at other ones like um, Laurel K. Hamilton's heroines who only become more and more and more popular until basically, I think, not popular, powerful. become more powerful. and more powerful until they eventually all become gods and then dance my puppets or whatever it is. And Get it's it. and for so, me, pers- this is just personal. I find those a little dull after a while. I can read. Oh, let's be honest. I can read eight. <laughs> and then.
2: So. both both of the topics so far discussing focus one on how you're focusing on the voice of the book and the other in how you focus on the character long term in the series of stories uh with experienced writers the the thing is one one moves from simple to complex right if you're only telling a story it can be as simple as a man rides into town a woman rides away Hmm. which is a little more complicated than the original when you have to talk about that person over 27 years. Chess, could you say the word again? You say it so beautifully. Yes, exactly. The journey from um, apprentice to journeyman to master can only really be done once, maybe twice if you allow him to change fields. <laughs> but there's all these other people in the stories. I'm going to, of course, tout one of my favorites, Terry Pratchett, who put out swathes of books about throwaway characters, jokes in earlier stories. I mean, in the original story, the librarian being turned into an orangutan was because he laughed at the word orangutan. Mm -hmm. That eventually led to a major, major character. The same for the We Free Men. And the initial stories were all about Rincewind. And after a certain number of books, Rincewind only shows up to run away because he's kind of boring. He's extremely boring. I get very, very tired of Vince running away. (laughs) Right. And that's why he's not, he's mentioned in passing as as background colour. And you're you're looking at Sam Vines, who had a much more complicated journey. You're looking at, you know, Carrot, the one true living under the oak tree king. You're looking at, I mean, the best stories were about starting a 10-year-old girl in a hand-me-down dress, the Aching series i have not met those um you're in for a treat when you get there unfortunately i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ruin it but that that is the end of his career and you can see okay the, the last book he has lost some of his okay skills but moving back to the topic if you tell a simple story you can employ a simple voice um and and this is advice for the some of the writing students that we've all encountered. And one of the things I love about this podcast is how much I've learned about writing from it. You can tell a simple story in a simple way. You can tell a complicated story in a complicated way, but you can tell it in a simple way. But as you go on, all stories become complicated and you're going to have to get better at telling the other viewpoints, what's happening. Cause yes. all of these as are just little slices of a giant life. Yes.
0: There was a story and I am crying that i cannot remember the author and the story but it was a different way it was in the old kind of native american storytelling it's all of the animals down in a hole telling a story of a thing that they hold in their hands and they don't know what it is but the only way to know about it is to tell the story so the equivalent of fox gets it and fox tells the story and then eagle tells the story and then and the stories they tell tell
1: us about them
0: Yes, and and, and at the end of it, but they're each taking a thread of the thing and about them that is turning it into a truth. And then I think it's, and then the bear tells the story, and then all the animals agreed, yep, that's the right one. Okay, bear's right. Okay, that sounds awesome. I i killing. I can't remember it. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to look it up and find it, and put it in. But that was what I had a weird feeling about this story of mine in in the Japanese part. Is the maybe here's the here's the still story. Here's the staircase story. Here's the the guardian of the statue story. Here's yeah. the here's the wind that rustles through its story. All of these different points of view of telling what they saw as a I was there, Your Honor. I saw this because in a way, courtrooms are very like these storytelling, everybody giving their own perspective until the people decide what the truth was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which is why you need a judge, which is why I would have argued for, I think I did argue for, um, a, an impartial, separated observer.
0: Exactly. An observer. I mean, a bridge, when you think about it, a bridge is so representative of many things and yet is somewhat static in all yes. of this.
1: The Pope. The Pope is a bridge.
0: Yeah. Pontifex. True. I mean? A lot of people forget that. Yes. In terms of the old uh, Pontifex. Yeah, so those, those are what I mean by different points of view, and they've done it in movies, too. I've uh-huh. seen different ones where you get a little bit of, oh, what really happened, and what really happened, and they, um, they played with it. The absurd version was they did it in Clue, although I loved Clue. Please don't mistake me, but uh-huh. I'll tell you what really happened. Sure.
1: Yes. Um, I loved um, um, The Usual Suspects where there is a whole story within a story that is a complete lie. didn't happen, but it's acted out for you as though you're just witnessing it. Um, I love that.
0: And I think it makes interesting statements about reality and truth in the same way that it's telling you and reminding us, we each do have a different point of view. We each have a different set of preconceptions. We look at the world through our own eyes.
1: Eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable yes. um, for that exact reason. Yeah, I mean, they've they run many an experiment where a crowd witnesses a staged event and then tries to report what happened. And, and the variations in, in the reports are massive.
0: I, I was a murder witness. I am entirely aware yeah. of these. Yeah. So, and my, my darling Bitsy was in the car next to me. And I had learned years ago that our brains work differently. Mm-hmm. but he saw one thing out of place in bed and over-focused and missed many other things. Whereas I had a little bit more training on, ah, something weird happened quick. What time is it? What else do I see? Where else is around what's going on? Because it's just a different set of training.
2: Yeah. Not just a different set of training though. It's, it is it is specifically a different framing for how you see. And so what you see is informed by Wow, I'm messing up, meshing up the words here. If you are trained immediately to ask the five questions, you know who, what, where, when. You you immediately put things. In your cool brain. questions. Why is the question you never get to answer?
0: You okay, missed, you missed how.
2: Who, what, why, when, where, how? Where how? Uh, I I learned it as height, color, markings, motions, and um, observed intent. Right. Yeah. Content sure, is interesting. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, that, is, that brings us back to point of view and 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 um,
2: it, yeah. It, it reminds you to put in your head. You know, are they determined? Are do they look scared? Because you mm-hmm. will automatically observe that. Sure, because, it's but it's
0: not. It's not admissible in court. Uh, it actually is. Is it? Yeah. So. Here it is. I my training was to go down to get sent to a customer site, and they have had some sort of breach or burst or some something is wrong. Yeah. By the time that some somebody sends me to do it, it's I am supposed to record every single thing. Like in my observation, the person who entered, he looked nervous. He looked angry. They were happy. They were merry. They were. These are the observed emotions that I have that contribute to my record of investigation. Everything from what time, what did they bring, who brought it, what was said. Oh. I am literally creating a record of investigation because six years from now, when I am called up for this in the actual court case, mm-hmm. the only thing I am allowed to refer to is my statement and my record of investigation. Oh. So it's like, well, I don't think, maybe he wasn't angry. Maybe there's like, no, I asked him, are you angry? And he said, why, yes, I'm furious. I have a record of it right here. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the observation, my observations of their mental state do matter if I observe it and write it down because memory adjusts and memory changes and yeah. I can tell oh, you how to you actively work
2: somebody's memory. You can also completely misread an emotion. Yes, but your impression does count.
0: Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So for instance, we are not ever just, you know, dispatched alone. I'm recording the record of investigation, but I have a team. It was this case It was me and, and Jay went on down there and Jay was my techie. And she was the one dealing with all the other techies. Whereas I was the person explaining, this is what we're going to do. This is what I expect to find. Do you agree? All of these different pieces.
2: Huh. So, right. The, the administrator and the uh, animusis, if I'm saying that correctly.
0: Yeah. How do how do we decide what the truth is? What do we all consider to be acceptable evidence? What are we getting? And so if I ran across somebody that was upset and nervous and like, imagine yourself in the biggest frizzle ever, my job is to calm you down so that I can get real information out of you. If you are calm, nay laconic, nay hostile, my job is to then kind of raise the, your your happiness or serotonin levels or maybe create even a little bit of anxiety to make, you know, you probably should talk to me before somebody uh, with a badge comes along and wants to talk
2: to you. Going back now that we've explored that side thing, mm-hmm. um, question for the more experienced writers here, which is you guys. What do you find the easiest point of view to write in? It's uh, first person, second person, third person. First
1: First is easy, and third is easy in a completely different way. Um, and I'm not even sure how I make that decision, which way I'm going. Hmm. Yeah, tell me uh, more. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work this out on my fingers as I speak, and you know I don't find that easy. Yeah, first is easy because it's simple, because you're just there. You're in one space. You're in one person's skull. Um, and, and all you have to tell is what they see and do. Third is easy because it gives you access to all the separate parts of your story that are going to be happening in different places at the same time. Each is also, I mean, first is complicated by its own simplicity um, because you're limited to one perspective on a story that is inevitably wider than that. Um, And of course, the corollary of that is the third is complicated, because you have to deal, you have to juggle different points of view at the same time and tell tell it in a narrative order that will make sense to a reader who only has the words you give to work with.
0: Yeah, I, I find it easier to do the I because then it's me telling the story. And if I happen to be wearing a lion's skin or a bridge's skin, if I'm a bridge, I will tell it as a bridge. But if I'm doing it third person- I actually have to work a little bit harder because I have to figure out how much emotion I can put in there and what is the genuine emotion for the bridge or if there is or what are its thoughts or how can I make sure that in an unknown future, hopefully reader, will then come back and be able to relate to this and see themselves in the story or or at least see the story come to life for them with enough detail that it's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I
1: those are both of those. <laughs> I, I wrote a story last month, which will be coming out in tour dot com at some point this year. Yay! If you ask me, what point of view it is, I actually struggle because it's it's a first person story in that clearly there is one person narrating it, but he never talks about he or she. They never talk about themselves. They talk about their culture. So it's so so the. It's like first-person plural. Yeah, They say we a lot. Um, and they say you a lot because there is assumed to be one reader, um, one active participant in their story that they are talking to directly. So it's odd. Um, and it was huge fun to write.
0: <laughs> Can't wait to read it.
2: So we will have to get more details on that story when they're available. That sounds yes. wonderful. I want to ask everyone... And I, I hope this is an acceptable segue. Tell me if it isn't. What are you working on? What's coming out? What, what is good in the world?
1: Okay. Well, what's coming out? I have a story that's going to appear on tour.com. Um I have a Best of Chaz Grinchley collection, which thrills the life out of me, to be honest. It's it's like a validation of a 40-year career. It's just lovely. Um, it's, it's coming good. from subterranean Press in mm-hmm. August. And I have... The crater School books are going to happen. I am so thrilled about this. For the last several years, I have been writing um, for Patreon a series of uh, girls boarding schools, English girls boarding school stories set on Mars, where Mars is a province of the British Empire. And I, I love this thing. Um, and I thought I would have to self-publish it in the end um, because it is such a strange project. I mean, th- this is... This is kids' stories written for adults. It's There is no marketplace.
2: Oh, <laughs> um, you, oh obviously there is. because you're Obviously
1: so there is. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my beloved Shel Morgan at, at um, Wizard's Tower Press um, has jumped on them. And the first of those will be out
2: in the spring. And I'm so excited. My God, that's wonderful news. <laughs>
0: For me, I think we're about to launch our Kickstarter for the RPG, the, the live D&D 5th edition version of Oz. And I'm so tickled I can't stand it. We're just doing little bits of polishing now. For For me, it's making sure that all of my descriptions match the amazing art that they've commissioned to have done. So we have... Okay. As, oh, tell, as, us a bit, tell us a bit more. I mean, it's called Oz. What is it? it? Well, it's, adventuring, it's Adventures in Oz, basically. As you all are aware of the way that copyrights work, L. Frank Baum's Oz series, the first 20 books are out of copyright as of this last year. So, oh. hooray. Now, I am a geek, as we many of us are. And in my geek land, it becomes the, can I play D&D in Oz? Can I take my D&D group... Have them taken up by a cyclone and dumped in the land of Oz? Or can I do role-playing just in the land of Oz? And what would it be like? And what did it look like? And originally it started to be just, here's your, your Dungeons and Dragons in Oz version. But apparently I wrote way too much. And so now we have a full player's guard <laughs> and a game master's guard with some adventures set in it that we've been playtesting. So I think it's going to be really cool.
2: You wrote too much. That is...
0: I know, right?
2: <laughs> so. That is... And your writing is a delight. So that... Wow. So, that is two sets of absolutely fantastic news.
0: Yeah, it's going to be neat. And and I, I want to just say hurrah to all the writers and the guys that I was working with here because in... Although Frank Baum was a... His, came from a family of suffragettes, what he had was a product of the time. So we have tried very much to modernize it, and make Oz the land that adults can play into and be a part of. And hopefully, everybody will be able to see themselves with some representation and some something that they can relate to. Plus, not every female character is running around in high heels. I've worked very hard on this, <laughs> <laughs> which is hard with art, but that's a whole different you know argument out there in the world of fantasy art. But No, I'm really excited for this because I think it's there's a chance that anybody would enjoy playing it. And I think it's neat. And it's so pretty. So maybe I'll include a picture in this episode.
2: That would be great.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be cool. Yay. So as soon as 2020 is over, like hopefully the end of January. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I think this is going to be a good year. And we have a lot of exciting people to talk up coming soon. And I want to say thank you, guys. We, have, we are on episode 82 now. We've been at this for, well, in a couple more months. We'll been going on two years. And thanks for coming on this journey with me, guys.
1: Oh, it's been oh. such fun, Gene. Thanks for all. me. I,
2: I have learned so much. It has inspired me in ways I did not expect. But the weird thing for me is that the things I learn come somewhat sideways, not at all what I expect. Uh, a podcast set savant and sage giving me writing advice that just blew blew through one of my roadblocks. Oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> Tent poles. Being able to talk to people about point of view and learning more about the omniscient breasts with Kate Elliott, and and from there all of the world building. There is so much here, and it is so joyful to discuss. And I am so thankful to be part of this.
0: Me too. And we will put links again to. The podcast and interesting things that we mentioned today on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We love email. If you're a writer and interested in being on the show, give us a shout. We'd love to have you. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. As we fly merrily through these midwinter holidays into the new year, Try to think kindly about everybody you meet for the next two weeks. We're so close to rid of 2020, and that deserves celebration. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Dear Schween and our sound engineer and backup, backup hey. web spider is David Welsh. <laughs> our podcast sponsor is Forever Jackal Designs, who makes you all cool WDC swag to wear and impress your friends. And here's a shout out to the Bean Scene in Sunnyvale. Hey, thanks for listening, guys.